0: This is Mick Gray of DC Comics. You're listening to the Top 5 Comics Podcast. Welcome to Top
1: 5 Comics Podcast. People talk about comics, pop culture, and events. With us today, we have the master of disaster, Josh45. What's happening? And me, CBS. What's happening? No? Um, you me what's happening, or you yourself?
0: I don't know. He's I'm more always a, confused when you do that. You're like, and me. What's happening, me? Yeah. I'm I'm, always confused.
1: Well, you're in the room, too, so it's more of a, I don't know, confusing, I guess. To the audience, that's what it is. How y'all doing? There you go. No? Okay. Uh, see, so today we're going to be doing episode number 153.
0: Yeah!
1: And book-wise, we're going to be going over a bunch of indies, so we have... Sea of Sorrows from IDW, issue number one. Uh, Erratic uh, from AWA Comics, issue number one. Kaiju Score, issue number one, from Aftershock. And then uh, Children of the Grave from Scout Comics. And Miskatonic from uh, Aftershock as well. Although that's not the order that the books are going to go in. <laughs> it's fine, we introduce them, right? And there's notes, if you read the notes, it's fine. Do you, does they have to be in order? I mean, I usually do it in order, so. Oh, well. <laughs> I mean, like I said, there's notes, so it's fine. Um, so do we have any news tonight, Josh?
0: What's in the news? I guess Haley Stanfield's, um, Kate Bishop character and Pizza Dog debuted in a leaked video set, or a leaked set video from, uh, Disney Plus's Hawkeye series.
1: Oh, well, that's cool. They both come from the, uh, well, Pizza Dog does, comes from the mini series that, uh, oh gosh, came out maybe like two or three years ago. We did a couple reviews on the, on the show for that series, actually.
0: Is it the one that turned into a digital partway through? No.
1: no. No, no, that was, uh, that was Free Fall. Uh. So did the, what was the previous one called? I cannot remember the name of the series, but David Aja did the art for it, and, uh, oh man, I thought I remember the writer, but now I don't. It was really good, um, but that's cool. Pizza Dog and... Is Pizza Dog and Kate Bishops, is that what they said?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's cool. I mean, Kate Bishops, the girl who took over as Hawkeye from the Young Avengers whenever Clint was thought dead and the name wasn't being used. And then he came back later as Ronan, so we kind of all suspected she was going to be something, especially when they started showing off the daughter at the beginning of the uh, uh, end game. but that's really cool. If they do any of that story, it'd be awesome. It's one where he fought the Tracksuit Mafia, it was great.
0: Well, I mean, if they're both in, I'd assume that has something to do with it.
1: Uh, Yeah, no, that's cool. Eventually, she steals the dog from him. He saves the dog from the Russian gang. Ah, yeah, and then the dog eats his pizza, hence the name Pizza Dog. Before that, the dog didn't have a name, and Clint just saved him because he's being beat up by a bunch of Russians. They were just kicking him because they're mean.
0: And he, so he gives the dog to her, basically.
1: No, no, she in the comic book, she hijacks the dog. At one point, she winds up helping him out dealing with this gang of Russians that are trying to drive him and the people that live in the building he's in all out because they want to put in a, like a shopping mall or something. And, uh, eventually she helps him and he helps her with another problem, but eventually she has to go her separate way, you know, as heroes do. Uh, but in the process of, uh, going her separate way, she took the dog with her. Um, the writer on that was Matt Fraction. That's who wrote that series. Uh, but yeah, it was fantastic. It maybe came out two and a half years ago, I think. Uh, they recently put it in Omnibus, uh, maybe a few months ago. So you can get a big chunk of it in one big book. But yeah, it was great. Um, that whole story, like, just shows up, you know, Clint's a dude, and it drove that home really in a kind of funny, kind of, everyman kind of way. It was really cool. It was really good. But yeah, Matt Fraction was the writer. David Audrey was the artist on there. And generally, Aja's art, eh, I'm shaky on, but that particular book is really good in, so. Yeah, it was fantastic, so that's really cool. I like that idea. If we go that direction with it.
0: Well, I mean, I don't know what else you're gonna do with it, unless...
1: Well, yeah, the fact that both of them are in there, Pizza Dog really comes from that storyline, so. And it'd be a good place to pick up and do something, I mean. It's not that they can't repurpose it, I mean, sure you could, but. I like that they're using those elements, that's cool.
0: I mean, maybe. It takes. They haven't. I don't know if they've said anything where it ta- when it takes place. Maybe it takes place during like the intermittent part. Maybe, maybe his family list or something. That's
1: yeah. I don't. I'm not sure what that's going to be. Wouldn't,
0: I wouldn't assume he wants to do much with if his family is back. Right. You wouldn't think so. Except protect them. <laughs> Ridiculously. Well,
1: right. Yeah. Especially with everything with the with the way the world was. I mean, it might be part of that middle ground, which I mean would be kind of cool because we don't have to worry about the homestead. Just deal with what's happening proper.
0: I always wondered if like, you know, he gets the tattoos. Mm-hmm. Like, cause his family's gone. Right. And if it was like, F it, I'm getting tattoos my wife never wanted me to have someone at least that I can get tattoos now that she's gone. And then she comes back and she's like, what did you do?
1: That'd be kind of hilarious. That would be pretty funny. Really? It's uh, yeah, maybe. You never know.
0: Um, for all you wrestling fans out there, since wrestling and comics and entertainment kind of pop culture go together, um, sure. Sting has left, um, the WWE and signed a multi-year contract with the AEW.
1: Oh, okay.
0: Um, just yes, well, just 26 minutes ago. That's The crazy. news was released. Hey. Well, I mean, that's kind of the dude's path. I mean, he's- Which, if you don't know, AEW is like the newer wrestling company, um, all elite wrestling. Yeah, what it stands for. So, which I mean, it makes when WCW is in full full go, it made WWF better and vice versa. I mean, cool. Sure, so rest, if wrestling for wrestling's sake. If it makes it better because there's competition, you know, like
1: a lot more people get to see the see the light of um, the world. You know, like character wise and player or wrestler wise. If there's only one house then... There's a lot of those guys that lead stuck in circuits that don't ever get anywhere visually. Right. So, I mean, that's cool.
0: Um, They did officially announce that Mads Mikkelsen is replacing Johnny Depp on the Grindelwald stuff.
1: Yeah, that's uh, weird.
0: Crimes of Grindelwald. I-, I mean, he's a better actor. Sure. In my opinion, especially as a vi- an evil wizard villain, I think he'll do a really, really good job. And I don't think it's that big of a deal because they replaced Dumbledore halfway through. I mean, uh, uh, the original actor died.
1: Right, different B- thing, but yeah. But,
0: I mean, whatever. So there's that. What else do I have? I think that's pretty niche, man.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Oh, and then, uh, rest in peace to David Prouse. He passed away this week. Yeah, he's the
1: same. Prouse was the, uh, Darth Vader in the movies. For Star Wars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Um, well, I've got a couple pieces of things. Um, so it's aggravating, but I mean, whatever. So, uh, Witchblade is, uh, planning to have a return in 2021. So we're gonna see a relaunch of the series following the original character, Sarah Pizzini, so we'll be back to Sarah. Apparently the storyline's gonna deal with her coming back to reclaim the Witchblade. I guess pieces for that will be just about how she fits in the world after all the other stuff happened. Um, right on it's gonna be, uh, Marguerite Bennett, and the artist on it is, uh, Ariel Christina? Christ, Christan, Steiner? I know that's not how you say that, but. Anyhow, 2021 is when it's supposed to come out. Right now, they're doing a Kickstarter for a hardcover edition of Volume 2 of Witchblade. Um, that has like another 30 days from now, I think, if I remember right. So if you want to buy in on that, one of the tiers includes a Witchblade one half that will be an exclusive through the Kickstarter for the new series. So, there's not a date yet for when the actual series is going to release. One of the main things they're advertising about is uh, there's going to be a redesign for the Witchblade from Mark Silvestri, so that's pretty cool. So, Mark's on board partially. So, I guess we'll see, well, I mean, not partially. Mark's on board because he's making it happen. He's uh, going to release two Top Cow Comics when the regular books come out. We don't know yet if the one is going to show up anyplace else. Um, so I guess we'll see. So if you're really into Witchblade, I mean, that's a place to look for that. Something else that's sort of in that same vein. Uh, so uh, Chris uh, Claremont is going to be returning to Wolverine with artist Steve McNiven, which is really cool, except that they're doing a one-shot story that is going to be an exclusive through Pop for a deluxe edition um, book of Chris Claremont collected issues. So what they're doing, Marvel's doing what they're calling the uh, Marvel-made Paragon line. This is the first book in the group, and basically it's like a giant deluxe hardcover that has a collection of best of Chris Claremont books. So the one through four of Wolverine with him and Frank Miller, and then a few of the other X-Men inserts that he did. Because he wrote so much stuff. It, it's a collection of random things, save the Wolverine one through four the new material, which is the stuff he's doing with Devin, is going to apparently connect to the original four-part that he did with Frank Miller. So all that stuff sounds really cool, except the only way you can get it is if you go through Read Pop, and the book itself is like $199 for the box set. Now, it does come with a bunch of art prints, and it comes with a bunch of, like, cards. So, like, it's got some cool things with it, but it's kind of aggravating that it's the only way we're really going to get that story if you want to chase that story. And the last little thing I had, um, so if you've been wondering where the Wonder Woman 1984 covers, the variants that they've been toting for the past year, are at, well, at this point, they are now supposedly being released during January as variant covers to some of the future state stuff. So if you've seen those images um, chasing around the internet for the better part of last year, they are finally being used for... January's releases as variants. And some of them are really cool. I mean they're all Wonder Woman eighty four flavored. But uh there's some really cool ones. There's J Scott Campbell one, Frank Cho one. I mean the normal names are there for who's to, who do who does covers as chases. But uh, a few of them look really cool. So if you've been excited for that, it's happening in January, I guess.
0: And then also um another rest in peace, Hugh Keys Byron, the uh guy that played a Morton Joe from Fury Road. He pa- passed away at 73 this week as well.
1: I was not aware of that. Crazy. Huh.
0: I don't know how big of a...
1: Well, interesting where he fits in the world. I mean, he's not a name most people know Me, Prowse really isn't either, even though they should. I and mean, David Prowse's other half of Darth Vader, so... But that's still too bad.
0: And as this episode comes out, um currently going on is um CCXP2020, which stands for um Comic-Con Experience um it's a brazilian comic-con that kind of um it's not as it, it didn't start until 2014 so it's a little newer than obviously San Diego and some other ones but uh but yeah Comic-Con Experience is what it stands for and it's going to be some it's going to go like San Diego was where they're gonna, it's all virtual but there's wow. going to be some potential panels um on that New Walking Dead show, World Beyond, um, Snake Eyes. There's going to be some stuff on uh, Suicide Squad. Um, also, there's going to be some some stuff with the Russo brothers and Neil Gaiman on the Sandman series.
1: Oh, that's pretty cool.
0: I don't know. Are the Russo brothers... I didn't know the Russo brothers are helping with that. They, that's how this is typed, unless the punctuation person who's typing this article did a bad job. It makes it sound like the Russo brothers are helping with that. Yeah, Which they know. may be. I don't know. I mean, I could do some research, but um a lot of times these new sites whoever's typing has really bad.
1: That's true. Well, if they have a Sandman thing anyway, that, that'll be interesting to see what that's supposed to be about or what's going on with it. That's kind of cool. And if they're doing it like digital, like the uh, Comic-Con at home, most of that stuff should show up on, well, will be on YouTube. So, I guess if you guys go and Google uh, CCXP 2020, you should find some of that stuff. That's cool. But, man, that's interesting. I had no idea. It's a show in Brazil. That's cool. I mean, I guess it makes sense to have them everywhere, but... Yeah, I had no idea. All right. Well, well we want to move into books. Just to let you know, there will be spoilers. All right. Uh, so we're going to start with the uh, Sea of Sorrows. This is uh, from IDW. This is issue number one. Uh, this is written by uh, Rich Douke. And the, uh, artisan artist on is, uh, Alex Cornock. And like, so when the book first opens up, we are, uh, we are in a boat on the water, and it tells us that this is, uh, the Thelmish Cap, the North Atlantic Ocean, 350 miles from St. John's, Newfoundland. Newfoundland, Newfoundland, however you say that. And, uh, it's 1926. So, uh, we're back in time. And, uh, we first open up with the, the first shot we see of anybody is a guy on the edge of the boat throwing up into the water. Um, and he is super pissed to be on a boat because he hates being on the water. And, uh, we cut from there to another dude. who's sort of making fun of him. And he calls him Sunny Jim. So the dude's name's Jim. And he's like, Oh, you're feeding the fish over there, Jim? Like, uh, Sunny Jim? And the dude's response is very negative. He's super pissed. And these two automatically have, like, some type of rift between them. And uh, the one guy's wearing like a captain's hat, the other dude's dressed like a regular seller, so not anything special. Um, but the two of them start arguing, and of course, it's about money, and about who owes who money, and who owes what money. And uh partway through the argument, we have another fellow step in the middle, and he's like, ah, calm down, friends. There's going to be plenty of gold down there beneath for all of us, enough to satisfy Mr. Mr., Mr., Mr. Madden and Mr. Hawkins, and the captain too, Mr. Harlow. There's going to be plenty for all of us, and like he's gesturing to the whole group of them, and there's like, I don't know, 10 or 11 people there, all on the deck of his ship. And then he says, well, as long as, uh, as long as our fellow downtown, or, sorry, down below, actually finds it. And we find out there's another guy who's currently in a dive suit, beneath walking the ocean floor. And, uh, apparently he's been doing it for a minute. Uh, the dude on the bottom of the ocean is, uh, he calls him Mr. Chalos, it's S-H- O-A-L-S. And he's... Apparently he's a seasoned diver, but this is the guy they've had to walk on the bottom of the ocean. And so we cut from the group on top of the ship to the bottom of the ocean. Um, We see one of them say that he's touched down, and uh, we join him on the bottom of the ocean in his suit, tethered to the ship above, walking around with a light, and uh, we get some shots of some fish and, you know, normal things you see on the bottom of the ocean, then we come across a shark and it is just crazy looking. Um, and of course he has a moment where he freaks out about it. The shark moves on, though, and, uh, he continues forward, and, like, there's a, it's a lot of, like, negative space that's in the artwork, so it's, it's done pretty cool. Um, eventually we get to the next page, and, uh, we get to reveal what he's looking for. And what he was looking for was a downed submarine. And about that time, um, we see, we see a few more fish around it, you know, like shark types, sort of swimming. And, uh, of course he says to himself, the submarine. And then we cut to a flashback. We're in the, uh, the blind pig in New York City, which the blind pig's a bar. And this is three months ago. And so we've got our captain, and a couple other faces we recognize that have been on the ship. And, uh, Mr. Harlan. And the group of them are talking about how he's going to try to fund this, this expedition into the middle of the Atlantic. And, uh, the guys with him are like, just kind of talking about hopes and dreams and, like, fool's gold, it's a fool's chase, and partly through the conversation he tells him, well, that's not the case at all, I've, I've already got proof. And they're like, ah, you got some kind of sunken ghost ship out there. He says, well, it might be, but the gold's well enough, and he hauls up this giant brick of gold and sets it on the, uh, well, the giant, I mean, it's a full brick of gold, sets it on the table, and it's got, like, um... Iron crosses on it, so the gold itself is an, is a war time gold. And the iron cross either means Russian or German.
0: Oh, it's definitely German.
1: So, uh of course, they all like take complete notice and are like, "Oh man, well, this is a real deal." And they t- they talk about how well where you're talking about that doesn't make any sense for there to be a sub there. And uh, he says, "Well, unless it wasn't reported." I'm like, well, "Why wouldn't re- why wouldn't a sub like that be reported if it's hauling money?" And he said, well, if it's a shady government something that's government is doing shady, trying to move the money themselves, then uh it wouldn't be on the books. And that's about as much as we know about the actual crass sub, because there's no documentation about it being the thing at all. So we go back from there, we cut back to our current dive in progress, and uh our fellow's made himself into the uh into the sub, and as he's digging around through a batch of boxes moving things there's a point where he shines his light up. And he gets the shock of a lifetime, which appears to be a mermaid. But, uh... Skin color-wise, she's like this off-blue and has this ominous no-eye look to her face. Like, she doesn't have pupils. And, uh... He freaks out. And she darts away in the darkness. And as he stands there, he's like, oh... He starts checking his airline. He's like, oh, the air's fine. I must be seeing things. And so he brushes it off, like... It was something that was a glimpse he saw very quickly. I mean, of course, we see it because it's art, but for him, it was like three seconds. When we cut back to the surface and we join um, a lady who's smoking a cigarette next to Sonny Jim, and she comes over to him and she's like, "Listen, I don't like Dukey or I don't like Dyke either." Who's the fellow with the ship cap? That's Captain's Cat. He goes, "But uh, nobody really does." And to be honest, it wasn't him. Out here with, with these other guys, we'd probably be able to do something about his body. And the dude, Sonny Jim's like, oh, well, alright. And she puts the idea in his head that if, uh, if it is as much money as they say, that a couple of folks not coming back won't hurt anybody's feelings. And of course, she's got a snide, like, toothed out smile when she says it to him. And so about that time, they get called to come rejoin the group because they've been sent notice from the bottom that Shulls is ready to come up. And uh we join the guys, reeling him up from the bottom of the ocean. One of them's like, "Oh, slow, slow, slow down. We don't want to give him the bends because the whole depressurizing thing. And this is unlike nowadays where you have a bunch of modern technology to make this a lot easier. They're doing it by hand and reeling him up from the bottom um, in his little capsule with with whatever he's found. And so, of course, they're all waiting on bated breath, you know, crazy eyed, trying to see what what he's found. And uh, as he comes out of the tank. He stands up holding a bottle, uh, holding a bar of gold in his helmet in one hand, bar of gold in the other hand, and he's like, what are y'all waiting for? And of course they all cheer and everyone's super happy because he's found the mother load. And from there we cut to the evening and everyone's sort of seeing, having a, kind of having a party on the ship. Uh, but Scholes isn't with anybody else, like he's off by himself. And one of their guys comes over with a bottle of rum and he's like, Yeah. How you doing over your Shoals? You're not joining the festivity. And he's like, um... Name's Nick. Call me Nick. And he's like, I'm gonna join... I'm not, I'm not gonna join the festivities. I like it better when it's quiet. In fact, I really like it better on the bottom of the ocean. Because of how quiet it is. And he's like, oh, is it peaceful down there? And he's like, more peaceful than a man like me has any right to experience. And we get this, uh... A fella shoot a flare gun into the sky during part of the party. And uh, as he watches the flare gun go, he says, uh, you know, men have done a lot of monstrous things, and all of us on this boat have done things that are questionable. Some of us don't deserve peace for the things we've done. And he watches the uh, the flare fall into the water, and eventually the water turns into a bunch of bodies, and that body turns into a bunch of soldiers. And now we're sitting with him with a with a, with a scatter-type gun, the The type you would twist like a uh, sixteen, what do you call those things? Sixteen cannon, like the old ones you would turn the crank and one guy would feed the bullets in. It's not a railgun because it's too new, but uh the old spinny, like I don't know, nineteen thirties gun. I don't remember what they're called, but that's what he's got. And we see a whole line of fellows in armor coming, coming towards him. You know, like it's it's a it's a war military military armor. So like this is still back when we wear helmets and stuff like with fins. Anyway,
0: and as he, as he goes over what he- It's a bunch of dead World War II soldiers. Yeah. German soldiers, cause they're looking at, they're, they're taking apart a, they're going into a U-boat, which is a German submarine. Right.
1: As he's mowing them down, like, we just see bodies after bodies, and it's it's a bloodbath, and you see his face, and as he describes, like, as you do things you're told to do, eventually you lose the feeling about it, and it makes you a monster too. And eventually we get just a pile of bodies and blood everywhere, and then, we rejoin them on the cell, that on the edge of the ship, and he flicks his cigarette out into the water. The other dude takes a drink, and he's like, mm, it's not all quite what you think, is it? Then he tells him, well, you yanks were up here deciding which side you wanted to be on. We were down in the darkness. You're willing to sell us war materials if we get past the blockade. So we built ships that could get past the blockades. And then we join inside of a submarine functioning. And this is, uh, this is a flashback to the sub that sinks. And, uh, they, the operator on the, um, what's the thing you listen to in a the, in the submarine? The echo device? Sonar. Sonar. And, uh, he starts hearing music out of nowhere. And it freaks him out so crazy. And he says, he couldn't believe the things that he'd heard. Such beautiful, beautiful things. And about that time, we start having the voiceover talk about how accidents happen on U-boats. It's pretty common for accidents to happen, breaches and hulls. And this particular U-boat was no exception. And uh, we wind up seeing that this particular U-boat was built, and the way they were built had uh, all their chemicals in one part of the ship to make it work and keep running. And it talks about how there was an explosion in one of the cubicles, and that led to an explosion in the hull. And then that led to uh, having to seal off part of the cabin, and we want up seeing the ship itself emerge on the, on the surface, emergency style, because everything has been flooded in on one side of the ship. And uh, it talks about how some of us survived, but that was only the beginning of the real trouble. And then we see again the mermaid, who is the one who's singing, and her crazy looking teeth, next to the ship above the water. So, that's where the issue one wraps. And the way it makes it look is as though it's quite possible that Shoals might have been part of the group in the boat that originally sunk. What he saw down beneath, I'm willing to believe, is what caused the boat boat to sink, the U-boat. Um, as like a mystery, like a seafaring horror movie kind of mystery thing, I I dig it. Um, The art's pretty gritty, but, I mean, it makes sense for the tone of the book. So it, I feel like it all fits together really, really well. And as far as like a I don't know a crazy lost at sea kind of thing. I, I dig it. It's it's interesting. I mean, I don't as far as concepts. I mean, it's not the first time we've seen concepts sort of like this. But, well, uh, well,
0: it's 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 basically a sequel to uh, Road of Bones. Like the same guy, the same the same team,
1: the same group from from the previous book. Yeah, yeah. yeah
0: so I mean, it is. I mean, but yeah, it's kind of It's another like horror sto- like horror story, basically yeah. horror mystery. But, um, it's real dark, even on, like, the land scenes and stuff. It's real dark.
1: Oh, yeah. I feel like most of the time when we're dealing with them, other than the very opening, like, most of the book happens at night, and everything under the water is is black because it's dark. But, yeah, but even the daytime
0: stuff is really, really dark. Oh, yeah.
1: I, I think that's part of the horror element to it, is to add that, I don't know, tone, I guess, to the book. But, yeah, it is, it is gritty, and there's a lot of black. Like color wise. Um, score wise, I give it a two and a half. I mean it was a pretty good read. It was interesting. I, I mean I like horror story mystery, so I guess I might be more predisposed to it than uh than other folks might be. But yeah. Interesting. If you like seafaring weird mystery, I guess.
0: Well, I mean, I think it's really cool. It's like the violence is really messy. Oh yeah. They're, all, they're all the done war really well, Like.
1: Like some of it plays together, like as we see the bodies stack up while he's shooting them, and he's talking about how, as you, as you're forced to do things, eventually you lose the, you lose the part that makes you not, and you become the monster yourself. It's really pretty interesting the way they, iron that all out in there. It's pretty cool. But yeah, I give it, a I give it a two and a half. And it's good.
0: I like the art a lot, and the story's really good. Um, I give it a three. It's a solid read. Like I hope. You know, like at first when I saw from a distance, like the the cover looked cheesy, but when you look at it, there's actually really a bunch of really good detail in it, just like the rest of the, inside the book as well. Like you have to go back through it a few times to kind of really catch. Pick up all the new the feel, it. feel It's really cool. It's like really, done really well. So it's a really yeah, good book.
1: The cover, like in the bubbles, you lose part of what was happening in there, but I mean, it's got the whole mermaid in it. It's got the the diver in it. Like, yeah, it's it's pretty cool, but it is a lot of black on the cover. But it's the way it all blends together. Yeah, that's cool. Alright, let uh, we move on to Children of the Grave.
0: Children of the Grave, number one, by Scout Comics. Um, it is drawn by Joel Filippo, and written by Sam Romsberg and Ben Roberts. So this book picks up um, with a guy walking through a forest with a shopping cart. Looks like in the middle of nowhere, and it's very post-apocalyptic looking, and at the very top it says "Earth, 30 years from now." And now uh, we made our main character. He's looking through like a. He's just he's rooting around like just kind of digging through stuff, looking, getting food or whatever he can find. And uh he's talking about how everything that he knows is based off what someone else has left behind, and like books, magazines, even videos that um he f- once he figured that out. But it all seems weird and not right. Like, it just seems like what he's been told, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And so he turns on this little radio on his belt and he starts listening to the broadcast from whatever town that he lives in. And it's like, um, good morning, children of Terra, which is the, Terra is the town that he's from. And they're talking about there's a big gathering today, um, a celebration tonight. So everybody do their part to help out, gather food and get ready for it. And, uh, and he hates that, like, the main character who we haven't, God to his name yet, um, how he hates being called a child because he doesn't make any sense. And he gets back to the town and it's this like quaint little village that, but it's definitely post apocalyptic. Like you can tell like not all the windows are in, you know, are there and it's things like there's some overgrowth and things like that. And he gets into town and you can see everybody doing their, their daily chores and he's just kind of talking about how, you know, there, there's the providers and there's the caretakers and everybody plays their part. And he's like, but, you know, there's more to this than that, and I'm going to figure it out. Like, I'm tired of not understanding what's going on. I'm going to figure this out.
1: Well, yeah, and he talks about whenever you, whenever you see these things out in the world, he says they're not things we're supposed to see because these are people of all ages, which is also kind of weird, like old people. And how the echo of what the past was doesn't make sense now from everything they're told.
0: Right. And then so from, from behind him, He's like, kind of breaks him from his his uh, daydreaming. He hears somebody yells, "I'm Daniel," which is that's he's Daniel. And uh, this this guy runs up. and He's like, "Oh man!" He's like, "He's like, you weren't at breakfast this morning. We began to worry, and then you you left again." And the guy's like, kind of like, "Why why you leave? We're not supposed to leave." And he's like, "I you know I don't have to answer to you. Like, you know I'm here, I'm back, and I do my part more than my part." You know, I collect more than anybody else. He's like, don't, no, I don't think, I, I don't need you to talk to me. And then all of a sudden, a priest comes out of nowhere and, uh, he's like, brother Daniel, it doesn't, it, it doesn't upset me that you could constantly or consistently disobey the, the very rules that we have. It frightens me. And he's like, walk with me. And so they, they start walking. He's like, you know, I used to, I used to question things too, but you got to understand that that's just the way things are. And, and this Daniel guy is just like, no, like, I'm not, I, I don't. Like you, you, you look in the eye and tell me that there's not more to this. Like this doesn't make sense, and you know that it doesn't make sense. He's like, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of being kept in the dark. He's like, I'm, I'm gonna, um, he's like, the priest, like, I don't want to have this conversation with you again. Um, you know, all, all of our needs are completely met and cared for here, and I want. He's like, basically, tell him to like, just get on board. Like, you don't have anything to complain about. Like, it's perfect here. And, uh, he starts, you know, starts showing scenes from the town. And he's like, I want answers. Nothing adds up. Anything that I've ever read says that things should work the way they do here. Those who were here before us hungered for food was scarce and they struggled and they, they got sick and there's children and there was adults and it doesn't make any sense. And he's like, the way things are here is a child just shows up and that doesn't make any sense. Like they just, just show up. And they call it a blessing, and he's like, I don't I don't believe that. And he's like, so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna I'm gonna figure this out and tonight's my night. You know, there's a big celebration. He's like, I've been storing stuff away, you know, I got enough supplies to get through, and I'm gonna go as far as I can possibly go and I'm gonna go so far that if I want once I run out of supplies, I'll starve before I get back, so I don't have any other choice. So he pulls like a hatchet from under his bed and starts packing his bag and he puts Black Sabbath in his walkman and clicks on his belt. And, uh, during the celebration, he takes off and everybody's celebrating the priest's 30, 30 years, I guess. His 30 year birthday, which, which weird because he, d- he looks way older than 30 to me.
1: Yeah. But everybody else around him looks like almost the same age and all of them look the same age. So,
0: so like, well, the priest in the, in the, everybody but the priest looks super like, this, like very like young.
1: Yeah. It's like, like they're all the, the same heat. age except for him. Which is weird because they talk about him being the oldest in the group too. So like, that's weird. Cause like all the rest of them seem to be about the same age. Saber him.
0: And they're just all shouting, we love, love you brother or elder brother, which is he's, so he's the priest. They call him elder brother. And then you see this dark hooded figure. Daniel catches eye of it and he, so he starts chasing after it. He's like, what the heck? Like, come on, man. Brother elder kind of sees something in the distance. He's like, immediately like distracts him and so he's like yeah yeah thank you thank you yeah and he like goes and unlocks some crazy door and goes in and goes downstairs and there's like a head in a jar like a like like a frankenstein type head and i think uh, it's
1: i think it's supposed to be i'm pretty sure it's brother daniel's head actually i think i think what the truth is and it's this this is
0: a little brother daniel's the kid the young guy leaving
1: Oh, not Daniel, of the
0: priest, elder, elder
1: brother. I think it's elder brother's head. I think there must be a, and I think this piece hurts in the art a well, little bit.
0: I don't think so because he's going down there, but I think, but it shows like a, a so let me get through it and okay. I'll, I'll give my explanation as to why. Sure. There's, there's some sort of like blue alien being down, like some, some creature, and like there's, like a robot hand, and there's a like a different like suits, like maybe underwater suits or maybe space suits. I'm not sure, but it's all under the sanctuary of the church underground. It seems like, and there's like a you know, it's like an old like old timey like science fiction laboratory almost. And um, it seems as if to me that it's just the elder brother might be a robot of some sort, or it might be a mask for one of these creatures to to go up above. To like,
1: I kind of think he might be the the green face the little. Guy. I think
0: m- there's multiple of these green faced because yeah, he because at one point he's looking around and somebody's somebody's doing something and he says one has left the area permission to pursue so there's multiple um, yeah okay. there's and and some and then something says granted so there's there's multiple things down there so anyway Daniel is chasing after this hooded figure he's like please why have I never seen this seen you before and finally he's like wait come on. I, I just want to. I want to f and break here, just like, just for once. And then behind him, like, it's like, who are you? And like, I, I'm Daniel. Who are you? who are you? Uh, I can't stay here. They know I'm gone. You're one of these these people who call themselves the children. He's like, yeah. He's like, and this hand pushes this robotic like machine thing from around the its stomach, and the thing falls, and it's like, looks like it's a red liquid at first you're not sure what it is and daniel gasps in horror and he's like oh my gosh that's disgusting and the last scene is an old woman who the machine was around her stomach and it's like just disgusting like like a it's gross yeah like a like a like, a, like it had has had multiple children it and it says that makes me the mother yeah it's this this old lady is one of probably a birthing mother. And, uh, this is like a really kind of a dark take on a book called The Giver. Same thing. It's like a, a basic premise of, I mean, in The Giver, like, there, there's perfect utopia. And there's, you know, they, when you're born, you like, you go for a, a barrage of tests to kind of f- f- figure out where you need to be, whether you're going to be a, this person or this person or a birth mother. And there's, there's people who that they birth children and that's it. And like, when it's you're a family and you get you get placed with somebody and they at a certain point you apply if you want a child and you get a child and you raise it and it's like it's just and at the end of it this main character like this doesn't make any sense and he tries to leave and he takes this one kid who keeps crying too much and they're gonna he he finds out in The Giver that the kids that don't like are are unhealthy or any of those things they just euthanize them right and so um and so he takes this kid who's been crying and not the best. Baby and escapes, so interesting. Yeah, this is a very similar, very, very, very similar take. I mean, a little darker, but
1: sure. Yeah, I can I could see correlation with that. I didn't realize there was multiple guys down beneath. So yeah, I think. That,
0: well, there's at least two things down there. Yeah, Cause like,
1: well, because one's talking to the other one. I I didn't realize they were talking. To, I that part when I read over, I didn't realize about how they were, how that was working. But I I have a feeling, yeah, that the elder brother is a mask, and then. However many guys or uh, alien things are down there.
0: And it, to me it looks more like a robot than it does a mask. Just because there's like a bolt on its neck and stuff. Like, right it doesn't and Yeah, it doesn't look like a mask. It looks like a like a robot, like maybe they've created like an android or sure. something. Yeah. I don't I don't know.
1: Built a robot to go be the leader of these people. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely weird. And I, like, like you said, it's kind of dark and it's an interesting take on society and how Daniel's constantly like referring to things he's seen and how things don't make any sense. And they're all just supposed to shut up and get in line. So like, yeah, I get, it, it's, it's interesting. Uh, do you have a score for that book, Josh? Um,
0: you no, know, I really enjoyed the art. I mean, it's kind of flows again with the, with the feeling of the story. And I, I like the story. I like the writing in it. Like, like, um, the whole thing, f- like, flowed real well. So, I mean, i give it, like, three and a half. I think it was a really good book.
1: Right on. Well, I mean, I'll agree with you. i, I give it a three. Uh, the writing the writing is really pretty seamless. And, like, all his inner dialogue as it goes on is really cool. And the art is really is good, too. I mean, as far as, like, the style is concerned, it's got a pretty cool style and it flows really well. As far as, like, a a style of book, I mean, it's definitely post-apocalyptic, and as far as, like, what caused that, um, I'm going to go with weird turtle-looking green alien dudes or robots, because those are both possibilities from what Lily shows down beneath, because yeah, you're right, there's this whole robot glove thing going on, and, like, the pieces on Mother that are robotic, it's gross, but yeah, interesting, so yeah, I, yeah, I give it a three, it was, it was pretty good. Scout Comics just turns out a bunch of indie, like some stuff with super high concept, and then they did a few other books that we really liked. They had one called Tinkers, Tinkers of the Wasteland, which uh, is very, uh, it's it's pretty tank early, but it, it was really good too. And it was it, it was done black and white, but it was uh... man. It came out maybe maybe two years ago, uh, but it was really good too. And if you, I mean if you like tank girl stuff at all, you'd like it. So yeah, the series wise. I dig what this is. I guess we'll see where it goes. Um, So we'll move from that guy into Erratic. This is E-Ratic. R-A-T-I-C. Uh, This one is uh, from AWA Comics. Uh, It is written and drawn by Kari Andrews. Both writing and art, actually. The whole whole thing, as far as um, material presentation-wise. Uh, we do have a colorist and a letterer on it, but the heavy lifting is being done by the same person. Um, so when the book first opens up, we've got this uh, crazy-looking sci-fi suit that's blue black, and gr- blue, blue and black and red. And uh, it's, it's got lightning shooting out of one of its hands as it falls down into what looks like a giant city. And uh, we see this batch of numbers on the side running uh, 15 down to 10. And, uh, we have a voiceover going on. And it says, what if you have a power? What if you could do something no one else could do? What if that ultimate power had one limit? And that one limit is you only had ten minutes, and that ten minutes you had to save the world. And, uh, we jump from there to, uh, well, it says save the world or save the girl, and we see it on the other page, the numbers continue to count down and there's a person falling through the sky as this character with the lightning shooting out of them is heading towards them. From there we cut to a wham and, uh, the face of a kid hitting the ground. And, uh, we see one, a foot sort of jump over the kid. And he's like, watch this for a step, kid, it's a killer. And, uh, we have a, a monologue going on and we find out this is Oliver. And Oliver is wearing a blue hoodie. And he's just gotten out of this car, and uh his mother comes running up behind him. And as we see mom coming behind him, these other two kids run off, and they're like, "Oh man, this is gonna be the best year for us. It's gonna be our year, bro." And he's like, "Let the uh nerd nerd, nerd killers nerd kill him begin." And like it, they call themselves they call himself nerd killers, like K I L L A H S. Anyway, so we see Oliver getting up, and his his backpack spilled some of his art out of it. And his mom runs over to him. And she's like, "Oh, are you okay?" And his brother, who's there as well, older brother, definitely football type, is like, "Oh, bro, you got to be careful, bro. It's gonna be a new starting for all of us. You know, you got to foot forward." You know. And uh, she wipes off his face, and she's like, "Are you okay?" And he's like, "Yeah, mom, I'm fine. You're making a big scene of this." And she kisses him on the face, and of course that, you know, makes him freak out. He's like, "Oh, everybody's looking." And so his brother walks off, and he's like, Ah, relax, bro. It's all going to be fine. It's going to be fun. Just fit in. And uh, his inner mom walks talks to us about how his brother always fits in everywhere. Everybody loves his brother. But that he has a hard time fitting in himself, and he's more of a nerd than anything else. And we see a bunch of the other kids, and one of them, this blonde-haired girl in a polka-dot dress, picks up part of the papers that were blowing, blowing around from spilling out of his bag, and she's like, Oh, hey, you dropped this. And she goes, It's adorable. And he's like, uh what? I don't and she turns the picture around to show us it's basically like a a version of uh Red Sonya with a giant sword that the kids drawn. She's like, it's totally inappropriate but it's adorable. And then one of the other kids is with her, the bigger guy, just starts laughing at him, calls him a perv. And he's like, uh oh, and he's in her model, he says, Say something like it's uh it's supposed to be um ironic and he can't say anything at all. Another girl walks up. She's like, "Why do you always have to pick up pick up these stray fish?" To her friend, and uh, we find out the blonde girl's name is uh, is Kristen, and she's she's a popular girl because the other two girls tell us that you don't want to lose your status in school this early in the year, and they're they all kind of you know are kind of well they're making fun of him. Anyway, he grabs grabs a couple pieces of paper from the ground. He runs off, and Kristen's like, "Oh wait, you forgot." Okay, and he runs off, and the girls are like, "Come on, this is going to be our year. We got to live it up." And uh we join Oliver running, and he runs into somebody else. And the whole time, his brain is thinking, "Maybe I can find another school to start new fresh in. Maybe I can get replaced to another place instead of being here." So it's the first day of school, and the kid's already got all this like baggage going on. And we find out the person he's run into is this older lady with red hair, very frumpy. She's shaped kind of like a square. And he's like, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm new. And she just growls at him. And about that time, we hear the bell ring and he's, his inner monologue says he's never been so happy to hear the school, like, attendance bell ring. So he's able to run off while she just wanders back into the school. And then we cut from there to, uh, later in the day, not super late, it's still morning. And we see a dude get punched in the face. Like, pretty hardcore. And then, of course, we see a bunch of other kids and they're chanting fight in the hallway. And as he's walking through the hall, he's like, "Ah, the, the sounds of this school, and the sounds of all schools." My brother loves it. I'm—I can never, I can never understand how he sees a call to adventure. And then we see that the dude that got punched in the face is another guy wearing a Letterman's jacket. And uh, it turns out that uh, Oliver's brother is the one that socked him. And uh, about that time, we see a teacher run up saying, "Oh, no fighting the halls! No fighting the halls! Trying to quiet everything down." And he, he finally gets over to the kids, and uh, the there's another guy in a letterman's jacket there, and he's like, "Oh, hey, hey, coach, we were just, uh, you know, we were just present some re- some wrestling moves, you know, holding open tryout." And this guy was in here wearing a uh, contraband colors on his jacket. And well, when he, when his brother first showed up at school, he had a red and white letterman jacket. This school's colors are blue and yellow, so uh, that automatically led to rivalry. But of course, since his brother fits in everywhere he goes. Um, he managed to fit in even with the guys that didn't like him because of the colors he was wearing. And the coach looks at him and says, Oh, you know what? Rather than wrestling, we'd be better off with you on the football team. So, i I like to see you on the football field after school. And he looks at his brother and says, Hey, Ollie, tell Mom I'm going to be home late. And Oliver's like, Sure. And then from there, we meet Ollie's new best friend, or only friend. Um, another kid whose name is B.J., and BJ's like, hey, you know that kid? And he's like, yeah, he's my brother. He's like, "Oh, dude, you're going to be set If that's your brother, no one's going to pick on you. He's like, ah, you'd be surprised. And he says, ah, I'm BJ, I'm your new friend. And he's like, um, I'm Oliver. He's like, cool, oh, it would be good to have you around. And so, like, as we walk through the halls, this kid seems to know everybody. And, like, everybody seems to be cool with him, because everybody says hi to him, and he's getting high fives right and left, fist, fist bumps right and left, and he's asking him all kinds of questions about who he is. He's like, so, uh, so you're new to the school, right? And he's like, yeah, my mom came here for a job. He's like, must be some job. She dragged you all the way across the country to come here. She's some kind of big shot? He's like, something like that. And he asked him about his dad, and he's like, ah, oh, it's a long story. And then he, they just moved through the hall a little more. And, uh, then eventually you come to this wall that has a bunch of pictures of these kids. And, uh, Oliver gets caught staring at it and he's like, Oh, you're looking at the Mapleton 10 there. And he's like, I don't, what does that, what does that mean? He's like, Well, they're, are our newspaper kids. And this other girl walks up very punk rock with like a skull kind of thing on her shirt or a blank face, blonde hair with a streak through it. And she's got like thigh high socks on. And she's very, uh, she's very um, either rock or, or punk, and she's like, "Oh yeah, that's the kids that didn't make it through the Great Death." She's like, "Who's the new cutie, BJ?" And uh, BJ introduces him to her and tells him that tells her that, "Oh yeah, he's uh he's new. His mom's some big shot from out of town. He's got an adopted brother. He's like, my brother's not adopted." So he gives him his own version of who Oliver is to her, and Oliver is staring at these pictures and he's like, "That could have easily been me. I could have been one of these kids." And so the, the impl- implication from it is that these kids died during some kind of crazy event, um, and Oliver feels like he could have been one of them, which is weird. Anyway, from there we jump through going through the full day of school, and like we see a bunch of different classes, and every single one of the classes, it's like they're twisted versions of what they're supposed to be. Because like the math class is the lady, the big frumpy lady we met earlier. She's the teacher, and she tells them that the curriculum's been changed, and today over there they're going to be talking about oppression instead of math, which is weird. The next school class we see is science, and the scientist tells him, or the science teacher tells him, this year there'll be no grades in class. You just have to learn things and experience things. And experience will be how you learn, but there'll be no grades. And he's thinking to himself, like, how are there no grades? How do you move forward if you have no grades? And then the next class, of course, is is, uh, social studies, no, not social studies, is literature, excuse me, is literature. And literature's teacher has a very huggy, younger, very voluptuous type teacher. And we move on from there to social studies. And social studies has a, uh, another fellow with a very big mustache and a little goatee. And, uh, this is, uh, we find out later is Mr. Mar- Marquez. And Mr. Marquez is very, very Russian. And, uh, in social studies, he wants to teach you how to fit in and go along. Not to have your own ideas, but to merge with everyone else's ideas. And he's laying this all out in class, and he tells them, you're all going to learn to be good and how to fit in in a good society. And he asks Kristen, who happens to be the cute girl from before that found his drawing, who he in trying to hide, ended up sitting right next to by mistake. And uh, he asks her what she's done that was good today, and she says, well, I don't really know how to answer that. And, uh, of course, Oliver automatically felt like sticking up for her. So he pipes up and says, Well, one person's version of good is not the same as another person's version of good, which is why society's the way it is. We all have different ideas, and we have to intermingle those ideas. To which the teacher laughs him up and tells him, yeah, You're going to write your ideas down after class because you're staying late. And uh, school bell rings, everybody leaves class, and he, of course, has Oliver sit there and write out a list of whatever he thinks is right before lunch. Uh, from there we cut to this, the teacher's lounge, and the principal is deciding who the vice principal is gonna be this year. And when, uh, when Mr. Marquez first walks in, he naturally assumes it's gonna be him because he tells us all that he's been there the longest and he expects to be the next name vice principal this year. But of course the vice principal picks, uh, Miss Wisp, which is the, uh, literature teacher. You know, the, uh, bouncy huggy one. And, uh, of course that makes Marquise very, very unhappy. From there, we cut to Mom, and she's out front of a building making a phone call to one of the people she was told to contact about the job, and she can't seem to figure out where the job is actually located, and it seems like the storefront has changed. And so she leaves a message on the phone call, and it implies to us that she's followed the right address to, that it was in the text, and this is the second or third message she's left, and about the time she's hanging up, a woman walks out of the building and says, oh, they got you too, huh? And she says, uh, sorry, what? She goes, oh, let me guess. Now, how much money do they steal from you? We've seen lots of people standing outside these doors over the past few few months. She's like, hang on, what do you mean? She's like, um, so how much money did they take from you? She's like, oh no, they didn't take... Well, they had to have me make a deposit so you set up an account for payroll for me. That'll be refunded to me after I get my first paycheck. And she's like, honey, there ain't no job here. You've been... You've been tricked. And she's like, oh my god. I moved across country to that money was supposed to be for our first month's rent and she's like yeah they've done it to a lot of people you're better off not talking to any of these people and uh that leaves her staying in the street at this point with no job having moved the family cross country for a job that is not real and having money stolen from her as part of a payroll scheme which is a real con it's a real it's a real con it's a real thing and uh She's left standing there saying, Oh God, I need a job. Well, we cut from there back to school, and, uh, Oliver's leaving, and of course he's chased down by Kristen, and she's like, Oh, thanks, you know, appreciate you standing up a little bit like that. It was, you know, it was pretty cool of you. And he's like, How much, she's like, How much trouble did you get in? He's like, Ah, I just had to put some extra time in, you know. Not the worst thing in the world. You know, play it off like he's a cool dude. And then she called over by her friends to leave, and she's like, Oh, sorry, gotta run. And off she goes with her popular friends. Uh, from, in the same scene, we see a fellow pull up in a car, and he's like, Hey, kid, I've been looking for you. And Oliver's like, Me? With a question mark? And he walks over, and he finds out this is a dude whose name is Dr. Peters. And he runs a, uh, he runs a lab who's looking for an intern to work the summer, or work the school year. And he's like, Is it a paid internship? And he's like, Ah, no, 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 just, you know, your after-school time, curriculum to help you with school. He's like, Well, my mom could really use the money, but, uh, yeah, I'm good, dude. And he basically tells him that he'd see him around, and he's like, oh, you definitely will see me around. All Om- like when he says it. Like, uh, half his face outlined in black and very, uh, threatening. <laughs> uh, from there we follow Oliver as he walks home, and we catch him on the edge of this bridge, and he's looking at his phone, he winds up playing this video back. And the video teaches us a lot about w- their situation. Um, so in a brief overview of what's going on, it's a video with him and his dad talking about having cake. So it must have been a birthday. And he tells Oliver it's the last one you can find in the store because of the, you know, pandemic and whatnot. And, uh, as we go through that, we wind up learning that something's happened to dad and dad is the one that inherited the kids in the divorce. So both the boys are supposed to be with their father, but something has happened to their father and now they're with their mother. So, we don't learn what's happened to Dad, but it implies the idea that Dad was passed away, or is, de- or is dead. Um, from there, we cut to home, and uh, Oliver joins his older brother outside, waiting for Mom, and he's like, yeah, where's Mom at? She's not home yet. And of course, they don't have keys to get into the apartment, because she hasn't made key- copies of the keys yet. Uh, about that time, Mom draws, uh, drives up in the car, and uh, we see the front end of it is dented fairly badly. And uh, when she dropped the boys off at school... The one thing that the older brother said to her was, don't mess up my car. And we learned that the car is the last thing dad left, um, the older brother before he, before whatever happened to him happened. And now mom has gotten in an accident with the car. Something we didn't see because it must have happened, it happened off panel. And, uh, mom's behaving different than she was earlier. Not like crazy different, but she's a little more scatterbrained, it seems like. Which we learned why in a second. But she uh, she tells him, oh, there was a little dog, and the little dog's okay, but it caused a little bit of damage. I'll get it fixed. I'll get it fixed. Don't worry. And of course, the other brother gets in his car, slams the door, and burns off. And she's like, oh, he'll be okay. He'll, he'll come back. We'll get things fixed. Um, let me go make you some eggs. And uh, Oliver says, did you buy groceries? And you see her face droop um, sadly, and she's like, oh, I, f- I forgot. Cereal okay? I was going to get milk, too, but I don't have any, cere- I don't have any milk. He's like, no, don't worry, I like cereal direct out the box. You know, being a kid, trying to make Mom feel better. So we go inside, and, uh, we fast forward a little bit later. Mom's asleep on the couch, and there's a fellow at the door who's looking for the rent check. And Oliver tells him, oh, my mom's not back from work yet, so, uh, whenever I see her, I'll I'll let you know. He's, goes, man, let me look in her purse and see if she left you a check. And as he's digging through the purse, he finds a, um, what appears to be a completely empty body, a bottle of vodka. So, uh, so Mom's uh, loopy behavior is because uh, apparently she finished that bottle. Anyway, he tells the landlord, oh, don't worry, he'll tell Mom whenever he sees her that she needs to get a check to him and she didn't leave anything for him to give him, so, you know, it's going to be a matter of time. And the landlord leaves. Uh, we return to the school. Now, this is after hours at the school, and we still have Miss Wisp there who is super happy and celebrating her being named the vice principal. Marquise is there, and he goes into the principal's office ...to uh, confront him about the non-appointment. And he talks to him about how, oh, I've been here for so many years... ...and he tells him, well, Marquis, that's because no one else wants you... ...and I can't fire you. That's the only reason you're still here. You don't deserve a promotion, you don't deserve any of the rest of this. And, uh, of course, that Marquis turns and starts to cry... ...and he says something pretty ominous... ...how he wishes that the principal would just jump out the window. And about that time we hear a crash... And uh, Marquise turns around. And he says, "Doctor." Or he says, "Principal Lindsay." Lindsay was the guy's name who jumped out the window, and there is a giant hole in the window where a fellow has jumped out. And as he looks out the window, um, we hear people below saying, "Oh God, get the janitor, call an ambulance," because the principal did throw himself out the window. And then we get this ominous grin from Marquise as he twists his mustache like Sly flash style, full on evil bad guy style. And uh, we cut from there to Oliver at home. He's drawing pictures. And he looks at Mom, and she's passed out on the couch. And he's like, ah, we came for a new start. Nothing ever changes. And so he gets angry and decides to go for a ride on his bike. So he's out in the street riding his bike, and it's about sunset. And as he's riding, he eventually comes across Kristen, and her little brother. He's like surprised to see her there. And uh, he's like, oh, hey, how are you doing, Kristen? And she's like, oh, you live around here? And about that time, we see this crazy rumbling. And out of the ground, this giant, like robot squid thing appears in what seems like it'd be an earthquake. Oliver in his head thinks, run, you have to run, but running never works. And we see that the squid like f- fling Chris- Kristen in the air, fling her brother in the air, and uh, Oliver decides, well, I-, I have to do something. I've got to try to stop this. And uh, all of a sudden his eyes light up crazy. And we see him shoot through the sky with this like lightning trail behind him. And he catches Christian tells himself he has to turn off his, uh, his electric shock so he doesn't shock her, catches her, and then falls underneath her to keep her from hurting herself, but hits his head. Turns around, sees the brother, and he's like, hold on, buddy. And we see like, his fingers shoot out this red sort of lightning and zip him over to the kid, and he grabs the kid, and of course the kid gets shocked by it, and he's like, oh, I'm sorry, kid, but I gotta save the dog, too. And then you see him shoot some more lightning sort of red bolts, and rescue the dog. And as he's pulling them both away, the giant robot squid thing is basically trying to eat the brother and him. And he winds up kicking off of it, and the two of them crash land, and the giant squid thing sucks itself back into the earth. And they all kind of look at it like terrified. He's like, oh, I think the giant robot squid's leaving. And uh, Kristen is like, uh, Oliver, oh, are you okay? Your, your clothes are, you all right? And we see his clothes, and his clothes are like, they're ripped up from the lightning stuff. And the little brother's like, holy crap, your friends are never gonna believe that something's actually happening in our town. I can't wait to tell my friends. And Oliver's like, no, you can't tell anybody. And you see his eyes tear up, like, crying kid style. And he's like, you can't tell anyone. If they ever find out, they'll come for me and they'll come for me and I'll never see my family again, just like my dad. And he freaks out and he runs off with his bike. And that leaves us sitting with Kristen and the little brother. And the little brother's like, I, your friends are gonna be, go crazy about this. And Kristen says, Caleb, we have to be smart. Caleb is the little brother. We have to be smart about this, okay? He's like, he sees her holding her phone up, and he says, oh, did you record it? She's like, yeah, you bet I did. And we see that she's recorded a video of him. Um, how much video, we don't know. But uh, she looks at it, and she says, we're going to go viral. And she sends the video to what their version of YouTube is. It's called vid- VidTube um but that's where the first issue ends with her uploading this video of him crying cuz that's a that's a piece we see like it ends with his face telling her not to tell anyone and clearly she doesn't care even though he just saved her from a crazy robot squid thing which is just terrible but she's kind of a friend of me kind of girl it seems like um anyway that's where the book wraps uh, as far as the books concerned I mean, art's really good. There's a lot of words in there, and a lot of, like, pacing between things, so it probably sounds sort of jumbled trying to talk about it. But it's written pretty well, and it fits together really good. The art's fantastic. Like, I like it a lot. It's very, uh... I don't know, it, it's, not, it's not the same as Humberton almost, but it's got a similar feel. Uh, the coloring's really good. Like, the whole presentation of the book is awesome. Uh, I, I give it a three and a half. I, mean, I, I give it a four. It was really good and really fun. I mean, yeah, we're dealing with a kid who's got superpowers, so that's very Spider-Man-y. And it, it has similarities, I would say, to a book that's called... Uh, oh, gosh, it was from DC Comics. Now I don't remember the name of it. Hmm. We reviewed it on the
0: podcast. That doesn't help you guys, I guess. This was way better than that book. Sideways. Sideways, yes. Yeah, that's the one. A blatant Spider-Man ripoff. This isn't at all. I don't think... His powers, like, they call him a reborn. I think that the Russian, um, teacher is also one, but he has, cause he's told the guy to do something, so he did it. Right. I think he has powers too. I think they're, they're I think they're called reborns and like, which means that like, whoever died on that wall, something happened where people died and I don't know what happened. Maybe he was one of them. I'd say whatever the
1: event was is probably what gave him his powers. I mean, they mentioned the, the, the kids on the wall and how they didn't live through the, whatever the event of the day was. The Great but, Death. Yeah. So, like, as a thing, I mean, clearly we're going to learn more about that as we go. But, yeah, when he thinks to himself that he could have been one of those kids, I have a feeling that whatever the event was must have happened multiple places. Because this is the first time they've moved to this town, or wherever he lived, it happened too. Maybe. Because if him and the the, the, the social studies teacher both have abilities from the same stuff happening, that would make a lot of sense.
0: I think that and then I think that um for some odd reason I get a weird feeling about the um large red headed teacher with glasses. I feel like she's might end up being a good guy. Miss uh, Tug? Yeah.
1: Yeah, well she's like she just growls at him and like her attitude is very unhappy about what the school has decided to do. And the school seems to be acting Fairly bizarre too, cause like the way the teachers talk about their, their classes and how they are running their classes from the, cause this is first day of school for everybody. So like the teachers are basically introducing how they're going to run the classes and like they, they're weird, like counterproductive almost.
0: So I kind of think that. I think he's maybe seeing something. I don't know. Maybe it's his, his, his daydreaming cause she has oppression written on the board. Right. I'm like, the words behind me represent the construct of the world, and uh, I thought this was math class, so it's just like, he's...
1: Well, then she directly says after that that, like, the curriculum has been changed. But is he daydreaming though? I I don't know. I don't think so. I think it's just the school is really weird. But why is it weird? Uh, don't know. Because, like, even the other classes, a couple of them are counterproductive like that. Well, because... I mean, science well, class.
0: But it's just every other one.
1: Yeah. Well, the scientist teacher, he tell- tells them all that, oh, grades don't matter this year. Uh, What? What a weird thing, but yeah, it's
0: interesting yeah i don't I don't know it's maybe i don't, I don't know it's an interesting one, but uh, it's a really good book. I gave it a three and a half I get a three seven five actually, like this is one of those books that i mean it is a it is a limited series, so it's only a five um but i the backgrounds on this one are a little funky, like they're like. Sometimes they're almost photos, like they took photos and animated the photos. Like they kind of made fake backgrounds, and the kind of the art of the characters is really, really good in those scenes. But like with the mom and the woman on the street, like behind them, it looks like an actual photograph of somewhere, and the like,
1: storefronts, yeah,
0: yeah. Which was it? Lo- it looks it looks weird to me. So some of it looks really good, and some of it like looks odd. And so I was having a hard time with that. I am not sure what. What, where they're going with this is pretty cool. Like, and you, can, you know, obviously, like, if you read the intro, like, you can only use his powers for 10 minutes. I don't know, like, per 24 hours.
1: That's what this, yeah, the, the, for per day. It, it goes over that at one point in there. That there's a mention of it. So yeah, so he's kind of like our man mixed with, I mean, the way he moves is very Spider-Man-y. And the fact that he's a kid is, Kind of Spider-Man-y.
0: It seems like it's all energy-based, like kinetic energy. Oh, yeah.
1: Well, like that red lightning stuff around him, it doesn't seem to... I mean, it shocks the one kid, but he also uses it to pull the dog to him.
0: So, like, how exactly it works... Static and kinetic energy. Yeah.
1: (laughs) But look-wise, I mean, costume... Because we see the costume at the beginning, and clearly he doesn't have the costume yet in the regular story. But the costume looks really cool. Mm.
0: I think, if anything, to me, that's the cheesiest part. The costume? Yeah.
1: I, I liked it, but as a thing, the style the, of the book I feel is pretty good.
0: Yeah, the I mean, the art of the characters is really, really well done, and yeah, the flow of the book it flows a lot better than you trying to like tell what's going on but not say the words. <laughs> well, that's what happens. But yeah, I mean, it, it's a, it's the, the book's really good. So,
1: right on. Uh, so let's move on to the. uh Miskatonic
0: by Aftershock. There you go. Miskatonic Miskatonic, number one. Written by Mark Sable and drawn by, um, Giorgio Ponchrelli. This book starts off with a weird bearded, old beardy faced man, um, Miskatonic Valley, and an old man opens the door, hears a knock the door, opens it, and picks up a package, and all of a sudden, there's a green explosion. So then you're in Washington, D.C. at the Bureau of Investigation, and you're at the desk of acting director J. Edgar Hoover, who he has not taken over the the, the full job yet at this point in this story, and uh, he's dismissing everybody, and so he's like, um, the, the days of sloth and ephesians uh, under my predecessors are gone, and so are all of you. And so he just basically, like, there's too much corruption, you're all fired. But then oh, a woman sticks around. She's like, with all due respect, Mr. Hoover. And he's like, that's when he's like, well, I'm a director. And she's like acting. Like, well, what is it? Ms. Keller's like, and she's like agent. So she's very strong, strong little woman. She hands him a, a photo. And, and he's like, oh, my gosh, who, has anybody else seen this? And he's like, nope. He's like, well, okay, well, I don't need to let you go yet. So she.
1: Whatever it is must be blackmail enough that he can't he, to keep him from firing her.
0: Well, I mean, as the joke goes, he addresses a woman and he had, you know, his, his assistant was his lover and he was gay. So that's, there's that. There, it, it could be anything like that, but I don't know. So he's like, I do have a mission for you and it, it's one that requires both your investigative skills and your discretion. Um, does the phrase plain words mean anything to you? And she's like, yeah, these are, were left at the scene of the anarchist bombings, the ones that Attorney General Palmer and yourself put a stop to with those raids. And uh, he's like, um, before Congress put a stop to us, and she's like, the note does say you'll never get rid of us, and we'll multiply. And Hoover says, 10,000 radicals arrested but nearly a decade later, another such note was found at a crime scene in Miskatonic Valley, New Massachusetts' blue blood, was blown to bits. Likely a copycat, but should get word out. It would under-, And then she's like, it would undermine the Bureau's work and our credibility. And so he's like, you're going to head to Innsmouth and... and a- is a port town filled with the filth of foreign shores. I want you to go there and li- liaison with a trusted friend of the Bureau. Together you'll quietly inquire as to who killed a weight, Wait. Just as quietly you'll make this matter disappear. So she shows up in this small town. The Detective Malone is who she's supposed to meet up with, and he's like, ah, I'm retired. And, you know, they, they share pleasantries, and they're looking around, and all the all the locals are kinda of staring at her and because she flashes her badge he's like, you he might need to put that away. Like right. don't, people don't need to know.
1: It's already weird that you're a stranger from town and now if you keep flashing that around it makes makes things look more suspicious.
0: Right. And so, um, as they're walking that he um she's like, Can you just take me to the scene of the crime? And they go there and she scoops up with a little glass vial, like some green substance, and uh he's like um, what are you doing, agent? And, he's like, and she said, Hoover isn't just getting rid of scoundrels and layabouts. And he goes, and lady cops? <laughs> and she, he's like, that stench. And um, she's like, he's striving for a more scientific bureau. And he's like, well, there are some things that science will never explain. And if you ask me, you shouldn't. And she goes, what is it Sherlock, Sherlock Holmes said? Um, when you eliminate the impossible, whatever remains, no matter how improbable, must be the truth. And he's like, I say the truth is very probable. And so she picks up a photo and it's like, who was that? And it's like, oh, that's, that was his daughter. She took off and became an anarchist. And she's like, she was an anarchist. And he's like, yeah. And, and she's like, um, we we'll turn on that light. And he's like, well, the lights don't work. She's like, just try it. And it clicks and and light turns on. So like it wasn't, it didn't, whatever the explosion was, didn't damage
1: the electricity,
0: which is weird. And so she holds up the, the plain words note that was left. By the anarchist who supposedly killed this guy, and there's writing underneath it. She's like, Oh, it's just gibberish, though. And he's like, No, no, it's not. I've seen this before and I know who can translate it. So they take her down to the docks and give this old booze hound some extra booze to, to share his story. And, uh, this guy goes about saying that I saw the old man blowed up. If that's what you're asking. Only he weren't no man, just like the rest of them. And she's like, What do you mean? And then it shows like this old, this old man's like, Flashback, and it's like a fish person exploded, like frog legs, and he's and he's there were fish parts, frog parts everywhere. but There was no body, and then it shows like and um, as the the drunk keeps talking, they're showing another flashback of this. They burnt him up, such as the ways of the Order of Dagon. Ask me though, they did it because they know folks like you'd be showing. And they're like, what about his daughter? Ah, she was a pretty one, as pretty as anyone descended from those fish efforts. They have a fallen out, but not that I know of. Never did see the two of them together though, and most locals don't leave town like that. And she asked, "What about the en- what?" Adam and he's like, "Nope, none that the deep ones could could protect from." And she, he, she's kind of, like, this guy's drunk. It's whatever. And he's like, "I was, I was, I was you though. I'd make myself scarce for nightfall. Now that the half breeds seen you've been poking around, they'd call up their full blooded cousins from Devil's Reef, and they go in the." The car is broken and it won't work, so they decide to stay at a like a hotel,
1: like, a, like an inn in the place. Yeah,
0: and they 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 check in as a couple, and they're like, "Isn't it weird that we're checking as a couple but different rooms?" Like, well, we don't have any rings, and you heard the bellman say that it was nice that we had um that we're upholding the old ways, like they're be you now since they're not married, they're gonna stay in separate rooms and be proper. Right. So, as you know, she says good night and. He's like, I only have an idea of getting getting out of this town alive. Because she's like, don't get any ideas because we have a joining joining rooms. And I and she's like, come on, Tom. Murder is the most excitement the sleepy Burgers has since that nineteenth century plague in quotation marks scourge of the Brooklyn underworld. And then outside, he or then you see like a flashback of the detective and he's walking around and he like finds some weird tunnel and he goes down it and he walks in on some underground like chamber, like a big hall. Yeah, it's got a
1: bunch of like weird heads on the wall and... Like
0: masks and yeah. faces and look, I don't...
1: Look like babies and there's a giant menagerie with like an altar.
0: Yeah, it's like some underground like...
1: Crazy secret lair.
0: Like worship room of some yeah. sort. And then he wakes up in a cold sweat and uh she starts hearing this like these scratching noises and like this weird gurgle, this weird, weird noises outside and all of a sudden like a loud thump, and blam! Like just bangs and slams, and all of a sudden, like the detective kicks open the door, and like, goes, like that lamp's not gonna. She uh, she's holding a lamp, she's like, "I don't know what's going on." And uh, that lamp's gonna help you. We need to get out of here. And he breaks the window, like, "Come on!" And they're running across. And You see a green, like, webbed finger hand, like, try to grab her foot. And they jump off the building, and they're they're hiding. And then you see like these. They look like KKK costumes, yeah, but, but they're but they're holding tridents. Yeah. Like,
1: yeah. Crazy skewers. Well, like all the banging, like he's freaked out and she's freaked out. And he's like he they push the bed in front of the door to keep from the door opening. And she's like, I think you're acting a little crazy. This is bizarre, but you're he's like, No, no, we gotta go And yeah, the other the hand she didn't see it at all, we just see the hand. The one that tried to grab her like the fish. I oh, shouldn't see it, no. Yeah, no.
0: And they like they bust into some building, and they're going to put on some, like, robes to try and blend in, and, uh, into a a, a church, I guess, and there's another burnt body, and it looks like, I think they said it's, um, poor Zidok, but I wonder if, is that the drunk? I think so. Yeah, that's what I thought, too. And then the detective breaks in, like, I've seen this before, I'm like, we need to get out of here. And so they're running down this dock, and they, this, this, this walkway, and, uh, they climb up on the railroad tracks, and they're like, if we just follow this until sunrise, will get us to the next town, we should be safe. And then she's like, what's that sound? It sounds like an, an orgy. And I was like, it's coming from that reef. And then she's like, I can't see anything in the viewfinder, but my telephoto lens should help make Mr. Hoover very happy, and then the flash goes off. And in the flash, you see, like, a bunch of, like, it's creature, They're black people. lagoon people.
1: Yeah, it's crazy.
0: And then, like, a weird language, just, like, all sorts of people, and then, like, the the, the KKK like people, but they're not KKK, they're green cloaks with tridents, like, surround them. You know, the detective's is holding the gun, but he's not doing anything because he's scared. So she grabs it, she's like, geez, do I have to do everything? And, like, unloads the whole entire gun. And then, like, whoever she was aiming the gun at shot has six bullet holes in his chest, and they're green, like, glowing stuff coming out of his chest. And then he just, yep, that thing, or whatever it is, yells, Dagon. And that's how it ends.
1: Right. Well, like, the whole time they're being chased and surrounded, they're all <laughs> chanting weird things.
0: Yeah, like a weird language. Yeah, like.
1: it, it's crazy. Like, the only thing in there I thought I saw maybe is, is Beelzebub, and it's like a bunch of other gibberish around it. But yeah, it's very, like, cult chanty.
0: Ashtoreth, Belial. Yeah. Mene. Which
1: I, That may have something to do with with H.P. Lovecraft stuff, I guess, because Miskatonic is a city that he uses in his stories, so all that chanting may have something to do with something he's written, but I'm not really that big of a study of. I mean, I know about Cthulhu. That's about as far as that gets. So, I mean, other than knowing who he is, I never really read a lot of his stuff, so right, it may have some more meaning if you know that stuff, I guess. But yeah, it's crazy.
0: That's pretty cool. To me, I like. I mean, the cover's really good. Like, it looks kind of like Renee Zellweger. But I mean, it the art on on it is very is very good. And inside, like, some of it is really good, but other parts of it are like real. Like when he's like when the detective guy retired detective guy wakes up in a cold sweat. Like it doesn't really. There's not a lot of like he doesn't tell you exactly like what's emotion. happening. Emotion. Like you yeah. kind of have to gather that. Like some of it's decent, some of it's not. So I was like, eh.
1: Oh yeah, the, the detective is Tom Malone, that's his name, but yeah, as a thing, some of the movement's weird, because it's kind of hard, I had to go over it a couple of times, because his his dream, where he's looking through the other, the other house and he finds that hidden room, I couldn't tell for sure if that was supposed to be happening at the time, or if what it was, until I went back the second time through it, and I thought, oh, okay, this is him, this is him dreaming and he wakes up out of nowhere, so like the pacing in there is a little disjointed. I don't think that kills anything, but it was a tiny bit confusing. Um, overall, I don't think it hurts anything. Uh, but it was it was definitely disjointed. That whole sequence where he smashes into a room and all this stuff's going on outside—it just pacing wise, it's a little disjointed. Um, do you have a score for that book there, Josh?
0: Give like a give like a two and a half. I mean. I like the story. Art was a little, little weird. Um, I'm curious to see where it goes. When they did show like the, the ocean people or whatever, you know, like it, they, they were, I think that was like some weak art there. You know, so so some of it was like really good and some other parts of it felt rushed. And I feel like sometimes when you have these, these indies, that's what you, you run into. Like you get certain parts that just seem rushed and like something that like, I have an idea of what I want to want drawn here, but the artist's like, Oh, I can draw that. Kind of like that's how... Maybe... I don't know. I'm not sure. But it's... It's a, it's a cool story.
1: I do um, Yeah, I've also give it a two and a half also. I mean, it's pretty interesting. The time frame we're dealing with doesn't get used a lot. And I, and I like how she basically kept her job by blackmailing Hoover. I think that's awesome. And so, like, her positioning in the world is very matter-of-fact. And when she stumbles into this town of just freaking crazy it puts her on the opposite side of what she's used to dealing with, I guess. And, like, Tom seems to be a dude who's been through just the ringer. And at this point, he's only doing it because Hoover made him. So, it's interesting. And, like, I mean, the title alone itself, Miskatonic, of course, anchors back to H.P. Lovecraft. So, like, you know we're gonna get some weird Cthulhu monster stuff going on. Which I, I like that, too. So that's... I think that's cool. Yeah, I give it to him also. It was, it was an interesting read. Yeah, I, I, like, I like what they're doing.
0: So, I mean, he was in charge of... This could be anywhere between 1924 to 1972. This is when he was part of the... It was when he was the director uh-huh. of that. Jay Yeah, okay. so... And he looks younger in this, so, I mean, it looks... That he, um, the detective guy speaks about how they... I know my rights, and I can still carry a gun. But he talks about how they've taken my booze away. So it's it's still prohibition. So it's, you know, really... So it must be like 1924, like right at the beginning of Hoover's... Like, I mean, it is, because I guess he comes in right at the beginning like, and says that. So this is like...
1: Yeah, when he first is taking over. Yeah, yeah. so this
0: is like 1923, 1924. Like, that's how, that's the time period.
1: Cool. Alright, we're ready to move on to the, uh, to our last book, The Kaiju Score. This guy's also number one is also from Aftershock. Um, this one is, uh, by James Patrick and, uh, Rim Bro. So, James with the, uh, art, or with the writing and, uh, Rim with the art. Um, when the thing first opens up, we basically have like a layout of, of, uh, a diagram of how, I don't know, I guess how fish work. And we're talking about a particular type of fish. We're talking about a mullet fish. And what mullet fish do and how they operate and when they breed and when they spawn and what not about, uh, fish. And we cut from there and the very last line there is, but uh, who really cares about that except for scientists and me. And, uh, it cuts to a dude who's sitting in the bathtub looking, reading a book. And, uh, we find out that this is, uh, Marco. And Marco's sitting in his bathtub with a book in one hand, cigarette tray in the other. And, uh, drinking booze. And he get, makes a phone call. And, uh, on the other line that it's, a uh, it's a dude named Slim. And he's trying to convince Slim that he has, uh, he has a plan to, to score a bunch of money and he just needs Slim to help him. And of course Slim tells him that he screws up every job he's ever on and he's not interested in anything he has to offer and hangs up on him in a pretty, uh, Krauss way. And we jump to two weeks later and we're at like the, an island resort it looks like. And, uh, we've got a lady who's, uh, sunbathing and, uh, pretty blonde lady. And she's, uh, responding to somebody on the phone as to what to tell them offer-wise and this is Gina, and she basically tells the person on the phone that uh, she wants him to deliver the message that she doesn't want any part of the, any of the job, and that they can all just go to hell. And then she says, wait, hang on. Don't do that. I'll do it myself. Let me do it to his face, that way he knows it's happening. And uh, she hangs up the phone on him. And we join her a little bit later. She's uh, in like a dress, walking through town. And uh, she's on her way back to what appears to be an apartment or a hotel room. She opens up the door and she walks inside and there's a lady standing there with a gun and she's like, she says, who, who are you? And the lady says, I'm sorry, and then shoots her. Um, after that, the lady who shot her picks up the phone, makes a phone call, says that she's Gina, that she's changed her mind, she wants to take the job. About that time, we see Gina, who's been shot, start to get up and she's coughing, there's blood everywhere, and the lady uh, tells her, uh, it's fine, I'm still here. You take the place, take, take the price and market market up 30%. And uh, as she's on the phone, she basically pins Gina down, covers her mouth, and smothers her to, to death. The whole time being on the phone as if she's Gina. Which is pretty, uh, I don't know, it's pretty crazy. Uh, we jump from there to a dog track. And we've got two folks, two guys watching our race. Uh, uh, one dude who's, uh, Mr. Marcone. And another guy who, uh, we want to find out is, uh, Pal- Pal- Palermo. And, uh, Palermo's a goon. He's there trying to get a job. And he's talking to the, talking to Mr., uh, Mr. Cu- Cuomo. That's C U O M O. Cuomo. Cuomo. He's like, oh, you know the last job I was on wasn't really my fault. it got botched you know there's a lot of things that happen that cause things bad to happen you know i'm not I'm not really a bad luck and uh Cuomo was watching the dog race and he's like, "Oh look, there's my dog number four, he's in the lead and uh as the race goes on, I mean the dog's doing great and he's super super stoked because he's gonna want a bunch of money. And he's like, oh well you know like the, the the airport job the airport heist that wasn't it wasn't my fault I mean we got in the plane and everything was working out just fine and and then you know we the plane hit a seagull, and that's the only reason that you know the engine got messed up, and it wasn't my fault. The job went bad, and the whole time the guy is still watching the dog race and only kind of listening to him. And he's like, "Oh, look, number four is pulling away. He's doing great." And, and then uh, Palermo, Palermo keeps going. He's like, "And in, in, in Italy, you know, there's something crazy again. You know, I plan a perfect job and get the perfect tools and." And he just keeps explaining like how all these the most recent batch of uh, heist he was on went badly and it wasn't really his fault. Circumstances of nature. And uh, as that's happening, we get a close-up on dog race and we see number four his leg breaks in a gross kind of way and the dog just eats it into the track and loses the race and that leaves us with Mr. Cuomo just bewildered that his dog's leg broke out of nowhere. It just broke. And, uh, of course our guy's like, Oh, I'm, re- I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. And he, Cuomo like puts his head down and he's like, ah, I'll make some calls. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll do so- I'll find you something. And of course that makes him super happy. He's like, Oh, thanks so much. He's like, now you got to get out of here before the next race. Cause you are bad luck. Um, so then we cut from there to join now Gina, which we all know is dead. Um, along with, uh, Plamo, and he's like, oh, I heard you're the, uh, you're the rude lady, and she's like, oh, I heard you're the black cat, that's what everyone's calling you now. He's like, oh, I didn't know that, like all hurt-feeling style, because every job he's been on for the last however long has been terrible. And the two of them are meeting a couple of fellas on a, uh, yacht, and we get out there and we meet, the dude's gonna be the money man, which is Blackie, uh, Mendoza, and of course he's, uh, he flirts with Gina, You know, kissing her hand and being all, you know, money, money, money guy. And uh, then we also meet a dude named Pearson, and Pearson's like the thug. He uh, searches uh, our black cat. In his pocket, he finds a lucky rabbit's foot, and he's like, what is this for? He throws it off the boat into the water. And then about that point, we are joined by Marco, who's up on the top edge of the yacht, and he calls them all to attention. He's like, so we're all here to, uh, you know, this job I got planned, and it's a flawless, perfect job. And he starts explaining about the fish and how the fish mate and breed at this particular time of the year. And that will cause an influx of this particular fish, which is eaten by a particular type of kaiju. And kaiju, if you don't know, is basically Godzilla is. Giant monster. Um, That's what they're called. And uh, as he explains, that the kaiju is going to cause can have landfall at this particular time of the year, and because of the fish being where they're at breeding-wise, that will cause the kaiju to come to this particular city. When that happens, the city will go into a lockdown, and it will send everyone away from the city. This particular city has a bunch of art in this particular museum that is very, very, very valuable art. And uh, because of the people being sent away, the art itself will be moved into a secure, sealed vault underneath the bank, However, there'll be nobody guarding it, really. So getting access to it will be fairly easy, because everybody that could have stopped them will be gone because of the kaiju landfall. So think the idea of, like, a hurricane coming through and then robbing a bank during the hurricane. Same idea. And as he explains it, he explains how it'll work perfectly, and they'll use Gina to tunnel under, and then she'll crack the vault, and they'll take all the art, and it'll be a flawless win, and then they'll all drink uh, Mai Tais on the beach, and he explains how it's going to be happily ever after kind of ending. Happily ever after kind of ending. Uh, then we jump back to them on the boat during planning, and uh, of course the black cat says he's got a question. How do they know that the kaiju is going to hit landfall in that same place during a hurricane? Now, how, how do we know it's going to be in that same city? He's like, well, that's a good question. And of course our guy's voiceover tells him how, God, I can't believe he asked the one question I don't have a good answer for. And so he tries to explain how this is all gonna work out. But it so happens, Nancy, that everyone's like, yeah, dude, we're not into this at all. And the money man's like, yeah, your ideas are terrible. You're also a fail. You're no better than the black cat. And, uh, of course that leads to like rivalry type arguing between him and the hired thug. And, uh, the money man decides to explain all the ways he's failed. And so we get a barrage of other jobs that they've recently tried to pull. And how this Marco plans really, really well, except he's not great with the very finite details. He has good ideas, but he always leaves one thing unwatched. And he explains to them multiple problems that he's had with his, uh, his jobs, uh, including a robbery from a cargo plane, military cargo plane, and uh, how in the process everything worked perfectly, except he didn't account for the time change of when they parachuted out with the cargo that was stolen, and simply because the time change wasn't paid attention to, the receiving people on the ground were not there to take the loot away. Which is a silly thing to miss. And he talks about a a robbery from a uh, cruise ship that had the exact same kind of problem, and then a heist that, uh, because he didn't plan for the two-wave radios to have the same frequency as the handheld radios that he couldn't warn the bank robbers that the cops were coming. So, like, silly things that have caused all of his plans to go awry, and that he's a failure, and they would never work with him and never put money into anything he wanted. So, uh, th- that leaves with, uh, you know, everybody deciding not to bother with this crazy robbery. And then, uh, we get another shot of the mo- the mating spawning for the fish. And as that's going on, it, it goes over how the population rise has been so drastic and this is like, other than a voiceover this is like being told to us by a happenstance third party and uh, it turns out that very truly the population overrun is causing a draw by this particular kaiju and now they've decided the kaiju is going to hit land in this exact city at the exact time as Marco's plan. So from there we get a, a, a shot where we show like a news anchor reporting them evacuating the city. And um, if you've ever seen, like, hurricane weather reports, where they have, like, a giant swirling thing out in the side, this particular weather report has a giant Godzilla, and it shows a Godzilla hitting landfall. So it's, like, a whole thing. And uh, then we see the traffic of everyone leaving the town, and one side of the road is full of cars leaving, and the other side's completely empty. So they are evacuating for real rills, and then it shows some landfall, where we see the monster actually hit the city. And uh, from there, we wind up seeing uh, Marco take a picture of himself with the kaiju in the background, like all Rockstar-style, and he sends it to uh, the Money Man. And the Money Man says, All right, well, we're going to do your robbery, but you know what's going to happen to you if this goes wrong. And you heard about the last robbery, and then it shows like this meat locker with a bunch of dudes hung up in the meat locker. Because that's what's gonna happen to you if this goes bad, and that's where the first book sort of ends. And uh, as far as the placement of all the other characters and all the other pieces, it, they're a bunch of bad crook types. Um, but yeah, it's it's a heist book, so um, the art's pretty stylized. So all the characters have like kind of cool flair look to them. I dig it. I mean, it's it's an interesting like interesting setup. Way I understand it, I guess this thing's in production for some kind of movie or something at this point. Sony Pictures, I guess, is involved, but... What does that really mean in the grand scheme of things? I'm going to say nothing, because there's lots of things get signed and nothing happens with them. I mean, Chrononauts is a good example, which is fantastic, but it also has had nothing happen, so... So I guess we'll see. I mean, if this thing turns into a movie here in two or three years, freaking great. It is interesting, the whole, uh...
0: Whatever is going on with Not Real Gina, the woman's real name is Michelle, cause she ta- talks to herself. So Michelle is the girl that smothers Gina, and she becomes Gina, and right. she's trying to teach her herself how to. At the end one point, she's like, "Damn it, Michelle, why can't you figure out how to crack this? Like, cause she doesn't know how to crack a safe." So there's gonna be a lot of issues that are going on here that leading up to this. Yeah, that's a whole different side story. Obviously, obviously, she's infiltrating this thing because somebody has somebody who's important to her. And some, somehow, like, kidnapped, like, holding them hostage. Her purpose is to, like, probably get this painting, which is the ultimate goal. But, like, once she, after she's done smothering her, she talks on the phone, she says, It's me. Yeah, I got, I got into the meeting. Are they okay? You're not hurting them, are you? I just want to know they're okay. So she's talking about like, her kids, I would assume. Right. Or her family, you know, like, maybe her husband and her kids or, or something. whoever it is that they're
1: holding to use against her.
0: Yeah, why they, you know, picked her, because she's a brunette at this point, maybe, because, I don't know, who knows? Yeah. Maybe it, any, any, anybody knows about this this Gina is that she's a pretty blonde. Maybe that's all that they know. They don't really know anything else about her, so. It's a good possibility. I don't know. I, you know, I think that if you're going to do, be doing research and doing a, a thing together, you're going to probably know a little bit about the people you're hiring. Well,
1: whenever they all show up to the ship, they act like they never met each other. Other than Marco, knowing the money man... It doesn't seem like any of them really know each other.
0: But that, but you know, Gina actually, that's what, I got confused though too, because Gina says, like, tell him to screw up, like, to piss off, and not he just screw up a job the other day? Like, she knows who he is.
1: She knows Marco, but she doesn't know the money man. No, but but, Yeah, why would he recognize she wasn't the same lady? That's a good question.
0: Yeah, so that question, I was like,
1: what? Hmm. Is that who she's talking to on the phone? I don't think they say who she's talking to, but it makes sense if it was him. And with all the failings they've had, and they do talk about him failing on a barched car robbery, or no, a uh, yeah. bank robbery. So it must have been armored robbery. car robbery. So if that's who it is, that's a good question. How is he not recognizing? Yeah, Actually, like tell
0: him the f off. Nobody's desperate enough to take that job or work with that failure. I won't even waste my time at the meeting. Or better yet, tell him I'll call him and tell him myself. Right. And like, so it's like she's, you know, like she she knows who he is, and like that. He's calling her specifically to tell about this job and, you know, I, I don't know. I, I like the, I like the, the the feel of the book. I like the idea of it. Like, I'm sure that there's going to be a lot to it. You know, I think that's a lot of these things will answer themselves, but like my questions are like, why?
1: Well, she's talking to her as an assistant of some kind, trying to give him a message. So maybe they know each other, but they don't know each other, know each other. Yeah, maybe. But that's still like, I mean, maybe, they, people, maybe
0: they know of each other. I don't know.
1: Yeah, that, yeah that's that made more sense. But yeah, it's still kind of a good question. Like, if they've never actually seen each other and they just know about each other's work, that that would make sense, I guess. But yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, and that lady smothering her is freaking crazy.
0: Well, she has to she has to kill her to take her identity so oh, she yeah. could save her family, obviously. Right. They're probably like, and she doesn't want to do it because she throws up.
1: Oh yeah, like as soon as she shoots her, she does.
0: Yeah, like she doesn't want to do it. Right. But she's got to become this person and teach herself how to crack safes. Which I don't know how you teach yourself to crack safes.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Parent according to this, with computers and like stethoscope,
0: right. I don't. I don't think yeah, it's that I easy. Th- I think that's a gift.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that.
0: So, <laughs> as you know, s- you know, like Bad Santa teaches us, like they keep coming back to the guy that's a screw up because he can crack safes like nobody's right. business. Exactly.
1: Yeah, as a thing, I mean, I don't, I don't know. It was, it was just a fun read. The world is a little weird. I mean, they're treating kaiju as like a normal happenstance, so you know, like a hurricane or something. Which I guess they kind of are. But yeah, I don't know. I thought it was a fun read. Um, I give it, I give it a three. Like the art's pretty poppy. The characters are very stylized, so they're they sh- the whole shape to it is a, is a thing for this particular book. But, but I dug it. Uh, Josh, what do you know about the, uh, kaiju score? Other than Marker likes to do too much in the bathtub.
0: Um, I'll give it a two and a half, and I'll, and just until I see how it plays out. Again, my, th- my issue with indies is always, like, if they start off with a bang, and they like, do they shoot the rod in the first one, and then it just fizzles out? Or, you know, are they trying to make too conv- convoluted of a story to where they're not going to be able to pay off all the different things that they, they they hint at yeah you know there's just a lot to it you know of the five books tonight because they're all Indies I think that the uh erratic book is probably the coolest one ultimately I liked it a lot a lot you know this one's probably is really cl- it's a good book as well but they all they all you know they all have such potential that's what like they they're, they're all have a lot of potential to be really cool stories ultimately sure. every single one of them yeah, we'll just have to see, but yeah, this one is pretty good. I'll go two and a half, but just because I'm, I'm kind of hesitant on it. Like, I'd be like, That's a, they're setting up a lot of things.
1: Well, yeah, we have whatever's going on with the fake Gina, Michelle. Whatever's going on with the black cat. So, like, all these characters I have, like
0: that character.
1: He, right? He's It's so funny. Well, it, I mean, it's terrible because the dog is, like, breaks crazy, but you know he knows it's his fault. And, like, as he's apologizing for things that this dude, other dude, has nothing to do with... Yeah, and it was real bad because the we hit the seagull, and it's just, yeah, like he's a, he's a neat little weirdo.
0: Well, one was a sinkhole, so it was an act of God. Right.
1: The other was a seagull because it took out the, 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 uh... The plane. The, the plane's... <coughs> the
0: getaway plane now. Yeah.
1: So, like, everything that's happening around him is, like, act of God bad. It's not like he did it himself, but he himself is just not lucky. And then the dude throws away his rabbit foot? Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> Right on. Well, so what'd you learn today, Josh?
0: The monster squad lied to me.
1: Hang on, what?
0: <laughs> they shoot that crazy creature of the Black Lagoon thing and it doesn't kill it in this oh, book.
1: That's a. Okay. They didn't use a shotgun. But still, a gun is a shotgun. gun's man. That's a good point. That's a sad thing to learn, my friend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, if you guys don't know what Monster Squad is, you really need to go back to the 80s and check it out, because it's fantastic. Um, what did I learn today, Josh?
0: And that weird mother things are disgusting.
1: That is definitely true. The mother thing was really disgusting. Grown life. Did they come out as adults? Because it seems like they might. Because they're all the same age, and he talks about there being no kids. And he hates being called a kid, because he's not a kid.
0: I think he talks about it being like a... like. The children just show up.
1: Well, that's what he says, but he says they're also all called kids. And we don't see any, like, kids in the
0: drawings. I don't know. I think that they show up as children.
1: Well, they might. Not babies, but as actual kid kids.
0: Because, like, there's a kid holding, like, an older person's hand.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. It's covered up by a box of dialogue. But that's true, it is there.
0: Yeah, I I looked deep into that one because I was confused by that, so... It remind, like I said, it reminded me of The Giver. Sure, know. it was just, it's a cool story, but it's disgusting at the end.
1: <laughs> I will agree with that hundred percent. Super gross. All right, so some books to watch. Let's um, see, suggestion wise. I mean, of course, Erratic, I, I mean, we both liked a lot, so I'd say check that thing out if you get a chance to, because it's pretty good. Um, as far as other stuff, I mean, Endless Winter just started over at uh, DC. The Justice League Endless Winter. It's a pretty big crossover event that's, uh, gonna run through this entire month. So, say yeah, all that stuff should be awesome. Uh, as far as other things coming out, I mean, right now Daredevil's super hot, just for the moment, so, good luck finding number 25. If if you do, I'd say pick it up, because at this point it's crazy. But, it has been good anyway, story-wise. It's had Marco Cicetto doing the art for it, and he's fantastic, so, I mean, that one I would definitely say is worth checking out as a series, even if you don't want to chase individual issues. It's good stuff. Uh, current Vader for Marvel is really good. Uh, it had its first volume come out maybe two or three months ago, so if you want to pick up and trade, you need the first five issues in one go. It's also really good. I mean, it's Darth Vader stuff, so Vader's awesome. Uh, the team on it's a really good team too. And we just had King and Black start, which is, uh, Donny Kate's current, uh, Big event over at uh, Marvel dealing with Venom and like, the Venom God Null. And that stuff looks amazing. So, I would say check that thing out too. Uh, it's only, it's a five part miniseries, but Kate's a good writer and style wise, uh, the guy's doing the art for it's Ryan Stigman. He is also fantastic. So, if you've read any of the stuff with either one of those guys, you should enjoy it. And Venom has been super hot, so. Venom and Thor both, my gosh. As far as suggestions, I mean that's what I got for you guys. Um yeah, anything else over there, Josh?
0: So Um there is a Sith Ray figure coming out. That's gonna be really cool. Um seeing actual set not just art mock ups, I saw actual figure like
1: actual, figure photos. Yeah. yeah, nice.
0: Today they look really good. Um I didn't pick it up, but um I ran by a Kara Dune um Black Series figure. Um, on a vintage card, like at Target, See it, lo- it looks really good. Cool figure. Um, yeah. I didn't, I didn't grab it. I'm on a... you know, even with the GI Joe six inch stuff, that's just not my size, and I don't really want to get into those. Just, it's just they're too expensive for me to be, like the way I collect GI Joes and stuff like that. Like, right, I can't do that. So, but I, you know, take a glance. I don't. I, I did get the Sith right because I think that figure is really rad, rad. Like, I do make intermittent, you know, Jedi Sith stuff exceptions, yeah. but. Uh, so there's those things. Um, some other upcoming stuff. I was um, Acid Rain has some really cool new stuff coming up. Um, they're doing a. Um, so if you guys know what if you do or don't, which I you know if you don't know what Acid Rain is, it's not uncommon. It's kind of a like a really it's a very indie toy company and uh, by a guy named Kit Lau and he um, his main character is a guy named Bob and like he had, had, like Bob's team like. Um, um, the, they call it the Bucks team. And, uh, they released them originally and they're really hard to find now. And they're like aftermarket, pretty expensive. But they're re-releasing them in, um, like a different color scheme, kind of like different suits, but also they come with a bunch of accessories. And, uh, it's, it's going to be about, I think there's five figures all together, but there's it's going to be like a hundred and sixty dollars, hundred and eighty dollars. Mm-hmm. But I mean, as you know,
1: they are highly detailed and really impressive figures.
0: They're very amazing. So if you like that one eighteenth original G.I.J. scale, you know, uh, the top of the line. They man. are they are like some of the best of the best out there. They're oh, yeah. really really incredible. So that's coming out. Like I'm kind of debating on that because it's so friggin' cool, man. Um, but uh. You know, we do review things periodically on Action Figure Deconstruction. We do have a couple of new episodes out, so check those out. We did Ultra Magnus, and we also did Storm Shadow, Storm Shadow
1: yeah, ham- Arctic Storm Shadow from the Six Inch Line.
0: Yeah, for, it was an Amazon exclusive, so those are up. So check those out on YouTube. So Action Figure Deconstruction, um, but yeah, like there's just like there's a lot of really cool action figures coming out, man.
1: Um Joy Toys got a whole bunch of them too. So uh, those
0: dudes just pump stuff out like nobody's business, and they're all awesome.
1: Yeah, only have mech mech suits, and yeah, it's crazy. But either one of those companies, yeah, Google them because they're freaking
0: awesome. And also, if you haven't been watching Mandalorian, then you're crazy because it's pretty freaking awesome.
1: Oh yeah, oh yeah, for sure. Um, well, as far as socials, I mean, you can find me on Instagram at top five comics CBS. Uh, um, we find you on Instagram at
0: Wendell twenty four W I N D 4
1: And, uh, you find, actually, the instruction on there, Top 5 Comics Podcast on there, um, Top 5 Comics' store on there. Uh, you can also go onto the website, which is top5comicspodcast.com, has links for all of our shows, our other, uh, podcasts, uh, Never Been Done podcast, movie reviews, and craziness. Um, our buddy's, uh, hot sauce review show, Scovillionaires. uh, my brother's action, or, my brother's, uh. Video game playthroughs on Ant-Man 2050 on YouTube. So there's links to all the stuff that we do on there. Um, so check it out. Follow, subscribe, all that kind of neat stuff, because everybody needs more numbers. That's what I've been told.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Click like, follow, rate, review, all that stuff. See, senor. And tell your friends about it. If you like this, then... Um, yeah. In theory, they, they
1: should like it too, and if, if they don't, then why are they your friends?
0: Yeah, that's usually the question that we ask.
1: Right. <laughs> uh, so Tiki?
0: Oh. Happy Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is over.